church, can you give God a shout of praise this morning? Come on, bless somebody around you this morning. Go ahead and bless somebody. Give them a, a high five. Tell them God is working. And that that God has started, God will finish right good stuff. God is doing good stuff. And can I tell you that what God starts, he will finish. But you know, Romans chapter 12 tells us that we need to renew our mind, right? Can I tell you something that happened to me this morning? Um, if you know me, I, I, like, I, I, I like to be on time. And um, my Sunday routine is like, like even on Sundays where I don't preach, I still get up at that time. It's just, it's my routine, right? And um, I like to be the first one here. And so I leave early. Something happened to me today that has never happened to me as long as I can remember driving. So I got to the traffic light, and the light was red, and I stopped, obviously. And then the, the two turn signals to make a left, because it was, you know, 137th, and there was like, you know, three lanes, and then there's the other two that make a left. And so that light turned green, and the cars that were next to me started turning, and the cars that were ahead of me started turning, and, um, and then the left turn signal turned off. And so I'm waiting for the light to turn green. And so cars kept turning left in front of me, cars kept going forward, and it went the whole entire light cycle and the light never turned green. I've never experienced that where the left one goes green and then never runs to the cycle where the straight one turns to green. I've never experienced, I don't know if you have, yet, but I've never experienced that. And, I, and my immediate response was like, that's so weird. And my mind has been programmed by the Lord at this point of my life and my walk with Christ to immediately say this, Lord, I thank you because you probably prevented me getting to an accident down the street. I mean, I don't know why this never turned green when the light cycle should have been green. As a matter of fact, it altered me so much that on the next place, I made a left and I went a whole other way to church. Because <laughs> I was like, God, you, you were preventing, so I'm going to heed your voice. I don't know what you were doing. But it must have been you sparing me. That doesn't come in a natural fashion. My natural flesh, when I saw that there were no cars coming and this thing hasn't turned green yet, I was like, all right, just go, right? It's supposed to be green, so just go. I actually looked around. There's no cop cars, right? But then I had the still small voice. I don't want you to go yet, so the light's not green. And man, so many times, online campus, listen, watch. Zoom in a little bit there. Whoever's doing this. So many times, we go on red. When the Lord said, wait. I don't know who that's for this morning, 
But if the Lord kept the light on red, no te desespere. Wait. You were singing that earlier this morning, and that's how we started service. I'm going to wait. Lord, I'm going to wait. And I'm going to wait till the light is green to ensure that I get to the destination that you have for me. And Father, I pray that we will wait. And Lord, I pray that our mind renewal continues so that we can see you at work even in the circumstances that don't make sense to us. And I thank you, Father, for we heed your voice. And Lord, I thank you for when we haven't heard your, heeded your voice, you've still shown steadfast love and new mercies towards us. But Lord, I will not simply rely on your grace and your mercy, but I will live a life that pleases you and honors you. That is our prayer, God, in Jesus' name. Come on, can you give God a hand of praise this morning? You know, I'm going to jump into the message in a second, but perhaps you're here for the first time or tuning in for the first time, and I want to remind you, our church, we exist for a simple reason, and it's this, to get people to a place where they acknowledge, trust, and lean on God daily. I mean, can you say that this morning with me? Acknowledge, trust, and lean on God daily. It's a daily thing. We cannot do this once in a while. We need to acknowledge him daily, trust on him daily, lean on him daily, and we need to be intentional about it. That's the word that the Lord spoke to us for this house this year, intentional. And what you are not intentional to do, you will not do. You won't. You need to be intentional because if you're not intentional, it will not happen. Intentionality is the key. So what does that mean? You need to intentionally set aside time for God. In the same way that in your marriage, if you do not intentionally set aside time for date nights, they won't happen. In your relationship with God, if you don't set aside time for him, you will fill it with everything else under the sun. I've been there and I've done that. So what do, I, what, what, what do I challenge you to do? I challenge you to shift your schedule to have God be the first intention of your day. That may mean wake up a few minutes earlier. Before you, when you wake up, before you grab your phone and, and check what the markets are doing in China, or your email, or your social media, Check in with God and spend time with him and worship him and then read the scripture. And can I tell you, you will see God do things in that day that you have no other reason to explain other than God was working for me. But when you try to do everything on your strength first, we eliminate him from the equation and can I tell you, eliminate anything from the equation but God. 
because he is the one. And when you acknowledge and you trust and you lean on him daily, your life is different. That's why we're here. And that's what we want to see happen in your life. Amen? So we are in this series that is titled Happy. And I made a statement last week that saying something like, I just want to be happy or I just want you to be happy is like having a gassed up car but nowhere to go. See, that statement is so open and so like out there, like, I just want you to be happy. I just want you to be happy. And, and in your, I just want you to be happy, you give everything they want. And, and before you know it, there's no surrender to the Lord. And so what does the Lord want for us in order for us to be happy? And he's given us a blueprint. He's given us a roadmap. And so we're studying the Beatitudes. And I mentioned last week how the Beatitudes, those are the characteristics of a ki- citizen of the kingdom of a kingdom citizen. The characteristics of a kingdom citizen are found in the Beatitudes. And so not everybody is a child of God. We are all God's creation, but it takes acknowledging him and surrendering to him to ask Jesus then to come into our heart for us to be transformed and to become a child of God. And that makes us a citizen of the kingdom. And when we're a citizen of the kingdom, things change and our attributes and our lifestyle begins to change. Different people from different countries do things differently. You tell somebody, you know, arroz con frijoles in different countries, the arroz con frijoles might be red, red, white rice with black beans or white rice with red beans or white rice with pinto beans or whatever the case might be. And so you go to the restaurant and you're like, hey, let me have, yeah, rice and beans. And you're expecting white rice and black beans and they bring you, you know, purple rice with green beans. I don't know. They bring you something that's different and you're like, that's not what I ordered. But it's because that was what that custom is. And so when we become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, our customs begin to change. And our attributes begin to change. And and we spoke about two things last week. The first two things in the Beatitudes. The first one was happy are or blessed are those that are poor in spirit. And we described that poor in spirit does not mean a physical poverty. It is the finding out or realizing that we need a savior. So it is a spiritual bankruptcy. And it says that, that when you are poor in spirit... The Lord then comes in and takes care of that brokenness, you understanding. Then it says, blessed are those who mourn. And those who mourn is not a mourning of like a loss of someone, but it's rather the experiencing of a true repentance. It pains you, and so you repent. And then it says that those will be comforted. They will, they will be given the parakletos, is what Jesus later on says in the book of John, that there is coming another, one, another helper, one that is like me, but the same as me. It is the same word, the parakleto here. He says that you will be comforted. So go with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Online campus, grab your Bible as well. Matthew chapter 5, verses number 3 and 4 is where we started last week. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, I'll take there a pause to remind you the word blessed is the word makarios, which means supremely blessed or happy. Okay? So you can read this as blessed are or happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Then it says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, we're going to pause there for a minute. So let's talk about happy are the meek. Happy are the meek. And there's a few things I want to talk about this morning when it comes to meekness. And the first one is this. 
Meekness is not weakness. Or the way I wrote it was, meek is not weak. They're not the same thing. See, when you look at the way that the world views someone who is meek, it is differently than the biblical stance on meekness. There is a differentiation. So when you look at the definition of the word meek in the dictionary, it says that it is somebody who is who's quiet. It says it's somebody who is submissive. It's somebody who is gentle. It's someone who is easily imposed on. And that's the disposition of our mindset when we hear meek. And so when you look up the word meek, even in the Bible, it does mean someone who is gentle, but the connotation of it is not someone who is a weakling that is submissive and easily imposed on, but rather it is someone who has controlled strength. It is someone who has power under control. It's Elsa at the end of the first movie. The ones who got it have girls. <laughs> the ones that don't have it have never seen Frozen. Power under control. Have you ever experienced somebody in your workplace that all of a sudden is given a little authority and they like take it out on everybody, try to exercise that power and it's like, if you have any type of leadership in you, you're like, that person has no idea what they're doing. They've been given this power, but they don't have it under control. So it's actually arrogance and pride, the opposite of weakness because, or of meekness, because being meek is not being weak. It is having power, but having the self-control to use it the right way. Do you know that the Bible says in Numbers chapter 12 that Moses was the meekest man in all of the earth? The meekest man in all of the earth. Now let's talk about Moses for a second. Because, dude, I picture Mo Moses like as a man's man. So remember, Moses, he took out physically the Egyptian that was beating an Israelite. He killed him. Got a rock, knocked him over. I mean, I don't remember how he did it, but he killed him. A, a, a submissive, weakly person usually doesn't do stuff like that. Then... God tells him, go to Pharaoh. The weakly submissive person doesn't go to the person in charge of the entire land and say, yo, God says, let my people go. That's not what takes place. The person needs to be able to walk in their authority. Moses is somebody the Bible says that spoke with God face to face. He led millions of people through the wilderness. He wasn't a submissive dude going to the will of the people. As a matter of fact, when the will of the people went against the will of God, he acted in the most strength. The only person that Moses was submissive to was to God. See, we see stories or, issue, or, or circumstances where Moses intervened even though he could have just used his power. I mean, remember, this is the person who is speaking on behalf of God, having daily meetings with God face to face, who had the power to like call the plagues down, right? You remember? Blood, flow, boom, blood, frogs, come on in, right? Like the, the, the guy called out the plagues and they happened. This is the guy that extended the rod to the, to the Red Sea and the sea parted. 
So if somebody ticked him off, he could have just said, lightning bolt, hither. And it would have hit him, right? But what do we see in Numbers chapter 12? We see that even when his brother and his sister, Miriam and Aaron, murmured and spoke against him and said things like, oh, but God can talk to us too. And God looked at them and said, I speak to him face to face. Who are you? And struck Miriam with leprosy. The humbleness and meekness of Moses had him intercede, stand in the gap, in the breach for her and say, God, forgive her and take away her leprosy. He had power under control. Part of the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So Jesus here says, blessed or happy are the meek. Again, meekness, not the same as weakness. Power under control or perfect control. And this is what we need to do. How do we then learn how to be meek? We need to yoke ourselves to Jesus. Yoke ourselves to Jesus. So if you turn the Bible over a few pages to Matthew chapter 11, I'm going to read verse 29. Matthew 11, chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, Jesus says this, take my yoke upon you and you will learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. If you look up that word gentle, it actually can say meek because it is the same exact word in the original Greek it is the same exact word that is used in Matthew chapter 5. If you read it in the New King James, you see that it says meek, and there's other translations that it says meek. Because why? In the original language, it was the same one. So Jesus here says, take my yoke and learn from me. Now, if you know what a yoke is, if you grew up on a farm, you've seen farming movies, you've seen different stuff, a yoke is this big wooden thing. Maybe they make them out of different materials now, but it was this big, giant wooden uh, opening uh, that, that, or, or, or bar that had two openings, and they would put it on top, on top of one of the experienced, strong animals, right, like the, the, the big ox, and they would tie or put in the same yoke one of the inexperienced, younger oxen. And so the young ox would have this like energy, right? Like, you know, like when you're going to do something with your kids and they take off running because they don't know how to have pace. I remember a couple years ago, Abigail wanted to join this thing at school that was called the mile club. And, and they had to be able to run a continuous mile without stopping. And the issue was that she didn't know how to create a pace. So she would just start sprinting, and guess what? About 100 yards in, she would stop, and she would walk, and then you can't get into it. So I, had to, I would walk with her. I would go outside with her, and I would jog it with her, and I said, okay, mama, I need you to learn the pace to be able to contain yourself to reach an entire mile without stopping. So it's not a sprint. You've got to do it. So, so I would go, and I would go at her pace to keep her at a right pace, and we would do it. And so when, when you see this picture of the ox being tied to an, a younger, inexperienced ox, the ox knows how to plow the field. The experienced ox knows how to go. And so the younger one, he may try to get too ahead or too, too fast, but he's not going to be able to move the older, stronger, bigger ox. He may try to push so hard, he starts running out of energy, so he starts lagging behind, well, guess what? He's not going to be able to stop the stronger, bigger ox. So the younger ox begins to learn how to plow the field. 
So Jesus says, the field needs to be planted and plowed. My yoke is easy because I've got the pace and I know how to do it. So he says in the verse, take my yoke, be tied to me. I go back to being intentional in tying yourself or yoking yourself to Jesus daily, daily. And it takes intentionality, intentionally setting your alarm clock a little earlier intentionally going to sleep a little earlier. If I know I have a 4.30 a.m. wake up, I'm not going to go to sleep at midnight. I mean, you can do that once or twice, but do that every single day, and then we'll, we'll talk about it in a bit after that, right? You're exhausted, you're groggy, you forget. No, intentionality. And so you, you look at your week, you look at your stuff, and you intentionally tie yourself to Jesus, and you begin to learn his pace. When you see Jesus living on earth, you see him doing what? Separating himself to spend time with his father. Before naming the disciples, what did he do? He spent all night long in prayer up on the mountain. It says in the book of Luke that it was his custom to separate himself. So then he looks at here on the Sermon on the Mount as he starts it and says, happy are those that are meek, that they get their power and they use it wisely and under control because what? They will inherit the earth. Do you know who invented having Saturday off? It was Henry Ford. Henry Ford, who invented the assembly line and would give his employees Sunday off, he started looking at the fact that even though they had the assembly line, that's who's credited to invent the assembly line, uh, the workers were less productive at certain moments. So he came up with this thing. He says, I'm going to give everybody Saturday off, and we're only going to work five days. And everybody thought he was crazy because they thought that the productivity of the company was going to go down. But the inverse happened. Productivity went up because people came back to work motivated, rested, and appreciative. Watch what, this, what happens. When you walk in meekness, people will do more with you and for you. Because you don't exert your force with an iron fist over them. You do it in hum humili humility. I was going to say humbleness. You do it in humility. You do it full of compassion. You do it out of a place of love. And you do it out of a place of care. Because being meek is walking in humility and exercising your power with self-control. All of us are given authority. How are we exercising it? And who are we learning from? Who are we yoking ourselves to? See, who you yoke, who you yoke yourself to, say that real fast, you yoke yourself to, who you yoke yourself to is going to determine what you end up doing. Yoke yourself with people that don't follow God before you know it, you're doing the same thing. Yoke yourself with people that speak a certain way before you know it, you're doing the same thing. Yoke yourself with whoever 
and you will start seeing the things transfer over. And we yoke ourselves to Jesus, we will learn how to be meek. Why? Because he is meek. You got to remember about Jesus that when he was on the cross, one of the men on the cross next to him said, hey, get us down from here. I mean, you're the son of God. And Jesus actually said, I could call down a legion of angels right now. Like Jesus could have, think of a Marvel movie or a DC movie or something, right? He could have been on the cross. And I want you to picture, he could have floated off the cross. Everything healed in his hands and in his legs and come down onto the floor and said, fire, come, taking everybody out. He had the power for that. But meekness is not using your force. It's knowing the greater purpose and having it under control. And we need to be yoked to Jesus to be able then to have that same thing or see it. And so it's a different thing than the world says. Then it goes to verse number six. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. You ever been hungry? I mean, come on now, we're in a 21-day fast, and I don't know how you're doing your fast, but if you're fasting food, there comes a point in time where you're like, oh, I need something. Lord, help me get through this. Or if you're really thirsty, you're in a hot, it's a hot day, you're doing something, it's like, I need, I, I need even a, a, a drop of water, right? Like, like, like picture the rich man when he speaks to Abraham, right? When after he dies and he's like, can you at least send Lazarus to dip his finger in water and moisten my lips? Like think at that, that level of thirst. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. So let's break it down in two facets. What is righteousness? Well, when you look up righteousness and you look at the broad sense of the word righteousness, it is a condition of being acceptable to God. Righteousness, in the broad sense of the word here, is the condition of being acceptable to God. Can I make a bold statement this morning? When you're acceptable to God, nothing else matters. When you're acceptable to God, nothing else matters. Understand a few things from this. Being acceptable to God is going to make other people not want to be around you. They might not invite you to that dinner because they're going to do something inappropriate and they know you're going to walk away or say no. But our fleshly mindset sometimes is like, Oh, man, I didn't get invited. What did I do wrong? Ah, let's look at it this way. What am I doing right so I can keep doing that? Who are you? You're different now. Yes, I am. So people have asked me many times in my life, how is it that you honestly don't care what people think? If you've known me for any amount of time, I'm pretty bold. I'm pretty radical, and I don't care what people think. So that allows me to ask the waiter or the waitress at a restaurant, would you like prayer because I'm going to bless my food? And I've had people look at me and say, no, I, I don't want that. Okay. 
still going to pray for you, though. Lord, bless them anyways. What if they say no? Well, they're not rejecting me. They're rejecting God. And so when you are able to live your life in a way that you are hungry and thirsty to be pleasing to God and not other people, you're able then to live a happy life because you understand that he is well pleased with you, right? What do we want to hear from God? This is my son in whom I am well pleased pleased. It is the affirmation that he spoke over Jesus when Jesus was baptized. It's what he's going to say to us when we get to heaven. If we live that life here on earth where we surrender to him, where he's going to look and say, well done, you good and faithful servant. Now, I'm going to give a little caveat there. If you notice, when God says that in scripture, it's to the person that was a good steward. So are you stewarding your life in the way that God wants you to steward it? Every area of your life, your health, your family, your children, your finances? Are you stewarding it the right way? I love our church. I love each and every one of you that calls 3W home. But I'm going to tell you, and I've said this from the pulpit many a times, if I ever let my life get out of balance where I see that it is hurting my children or my wife, I will hand it off and do something else because I will not hear from God, well done, good and faithful servant, if I don't steward them well. I don't know who that's for this morning, but priorities of the stewardship of your life need to come in alignment and part of that priority, prioritizing is putting yourself in a place where you hunger and you thirst for leading, living a life that is pleasing to God and not anybody else. What does that mean? There might be some people that stop talking to you, including family. There might be some invitations that don't come in the mail. There might be a Christmas card that you stop getting. Don't get sad and try to be doing what they do to please them. Continue doing what you're supposed to do to please God. He's going to bring the right people around you. And then Jesus even takes it a step further, right? So it says there, happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and, and the way I, I, I kind of translate it to make sure we got the, that depiction, we desire and crave. Have you ever craved something? Can I tell you my favorite popcorn? My favorite popcorn is Disney popcorn. I don't know what they put in that popcorn, but you can ask my wife. Like, Disney popcorn, I can be full to the brim and down one. As a matter of fact, I will get one this evening when we go on our, on our date day that we're leaving on today for our anniversary. Um, at one point, I'm stopping by downtown Disney, Disney Springs, whatever it's called now. I'm passing by, like, get a popcorn. I crave it. We had popcorn yesterday. We took the girls, it was our Sabbath yesterday. We took the girls to the zoo. Alexander wanted popcorn. I took a fistful of popcorn. I was like, oh, no. Disney popcorn tomorrow. <laughs> Guys, we need to desire and crave. 
living a life that is acceptable to God. Don't judge me. Maybe you like other popcorn. That's fine. So the Sermon on the Mount starts in Matthew chapter 5. It goes all the way through Matthew chapter 7. And if you turn the page over and you go to Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, this is the part where Jesus just finished talking about anxiety and worry. And he says, don't worry about tomorrow. How much does worrying, is it going to make you get taller? How much worrying are you going to do this or do that? And he ends that whole passage by saying in verse number 33 of Matthew chapter 6, but seek first the kingdom of God and his... One more time. The seek first the kingdom of God and his... If you're online, put it in the comment box. And everything else will be added on. So, okay, you have that there, right? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else. All these things are going to be added on. Now, let's take that concept back to Matthew chapter 5, verse number 6, where Jesus said, and blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be what? Filled. So what is that word filled? It's actually the same exact word that Jesus used, or that is used, a few chapters later when he multiplies the bread and the fish. Remember when there was 5,000 people, and then there was 4,000 people, and Jesus had compassion, and he multiplied the fish and the bread, and it says that everyone ate and were filled. It means satisfied. Can I tell you, your life will be satisfied, hence be able to be happy when what you hunger and thirst and seek is being acceptable to God because you're seeking his righteousness. That's what's going to bring you the true happiness. It's not stuff. I know people that have a heck of a whole lot of stuff and aren't happy. It's not a bigger house. It's not a bigger job. It's not a smaller house. I've I've known people that's like, oh, when I downsize, it'll be better. And it doesn't get better. And if he was like, oh, you know, I I lied. This didn't work. So when I live a minimalist lifestyle, I'm going to be happy. Nope, one t-shirt, not happy either. What's going to make you happy is when you start walking the way that a citizen of the kingdom is supposed to walk. See, that's that's why a lot of Christians are not living happy lives, because they don't know how to be content. They don't know how to rejoice in what they have. They, 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 They come to the Lord, and they're saved, but then they stop there. When there needs to be a pursuit of the Lord to get to the place where he wants you to be. Where again, it's not stuff. Is why Paul then writes later on, I've learned how to have a lot and have had a little. But one thing I know, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Christ was the anchor, living for Jesus, living for Christ. And if you remember... I read it, Acts chapter 9, when he was converted, he, always, he, was, he wasn't even looking for God. But God found him, and everything shifted. Worship team, if you can come to the altar. So what do we do? Watch. You ask, how do I live a life that is happy? Well, you need to realize your state of spiritual bankruptcy. If you're here at church on a Sunday morning, probably you've done that, right? That's why you're going to church on a Sunday morning. You've surrendered to him. And so what happens? Yours is the kingdom of heaven, it says. Why? Because you're going to have eternal life. And so that poor in spirit leads you to then to that place of, of brokenness, of realizing or experiencing 
the pain or the weight of repentance. Blessed are those who mourn. And what has happened? They are comforted. Paracletos brings you comfort. But you can't stay there. Then you got to tie yourself to Jesus so that, and if you ask the question, well, how can I be happy? Well, you need to learn how to walk in your authority with it being under control. And then what's the next step into being able to live a happy life? Is what are we seeking? Am I pursuing? Am I hungry? And am I thirsty to live in a condition that's acceptable to God? Because again, when you do that, nothing else matters. Can I tell you? Jesus, in Matthew chapter 10, I think it's Matthew chapter 10. It was in my daily Bible reading either yesterday or today. So it's either chapter 10 or chapter 11. It says, he said, don't think that I came to bring peace, but I came to bring sword. And I'm going to bring division. And you look at that and say, man, that brings harshness. No, no, no. So this is the sword or the division that comes. You either are pursuing God or living like the world. So we need to stop straddling the fence or the sword. And when you pursue God, there's going to be a pocket of people that don't want to be with you anymore. But guess what? There's a pocket of people over here that do because they're also pursuing God. And I don't know who this is for this morning. But that friend or coworker or even family member that you think you lost, look at all the brothers that you gained in Christ that are also living a life that honors and pursue God. And stop trying to live in where you were. Because if you live where you were, you're never going to get to where God wants you to be. Where's my, where's my notebook? Here it is. Watch. Can I tell you something? Look, look, look at the bonehead thing that I did 12 times this year. January 4th, 2021. January 5th, 2021. I write the date next to where I do my, my daily devotionals. January 6th, 2021. January 7th, 2021. I was stuck in writing 2021 because I wrote it for a year. So then I realized it yesterday. <laughs> I, yeah, yesterday the 15th. So I, I wrote 2022, and then I went back and I corrected it. What am I trying to get at, guys? It's a new thing that God is doing. Don't stay stuck in last year. Don't stay stuck. Because... When you're walking in the freedom that God has and that old friend wants to bring you back to what you used to do, there's going to be a trade-off of pleasing God or pleasing man. And Jesus said, your happiness will come 
at the measure of your hunger and thirst for being an acceptable person to God. Stand to your feet. Father, this morning, I thank you. I thank you, God, for you are good and faithful, and I thank you, God, for, man, you never let go of me. I thank you, God, for even in my brokenness, you are there. Even in every circumstance and situation, you hold me, God. Even this past week, we fasted for boldness. God, that we may be bold to live a life that honors you. In the way that we speak, in the way that we conduct ourselves, in the way that we dress, in the people we hang out with, and in everything that we do, that we hunger to be like you. Lord, that we would yoke ourselves to Jesus so that we could learn how to walk like him. Father, we thank you for you are good, and Lord, we declare it. We trust in 